Today, as we continue our journey through Advent, we take a stop in John's gospel, the, the Apostle John. Now, just as a, a quick reminder, in John's gospel, whenever you hear the name John, he's not talking about himself. John never refers to himself by name. So anytime John talks about John, it's actually John the Baptist that he's talking about. So you've got the disciple John writing this gospel about John the Baptist. And that's where we pick up our account today from John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all may believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing him. Now, the Apostle John, the author of this gospel, he wrote this gospel probably sometime between 80 and 85 AD, and his purpose is very, very particular. In fact, John even gives and states the purpose explicitly, and he says this in chapter 20. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is John's whole reason for recording this gospel. So the last several weeks, as we've been preparing to celebrate Jesus' birth next Saturday night, and also preparing for Jesus to return, to come back and fix all of this creation and make it the world put right. We've been following this progression. The first week we talked about Jesus' arrival, his entry into the city of Jerusalem. Last week we talked about preparation, how John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way. Today we stick with John the Baptist, but we specially focus on his witness, his testimony, the words that come out of his mouth. Witness. To witness has this twofold meaning, that the first part of witness is to actually be the eyewitness, that you see, you encounter, you experience something firsthand. You are an eyewitness. Now, the second part of that eyewitness piece is that you share it, you speak it out. When somebody gives testimony in a court proceeding, they are eyewitnesses of something that happened, and they speak it out so that it's recorded. 
So this witness has that twofold meaning that you see and observe, that you experience and you encounter, but then also you talk about it, you share it. Now, it's interesting, this Greek word that we use for witness is also a word that we use for the word martyr. Because sometimes when you share your faith, when you witness to what you have seen God do in your life, you will be persecuted sometimes, in some circumstances, even to the point of death. And in that case, that person is considered a martyr because they spoke God's word and they suffered and they died. Which is essentially what originally or what ultimately happens to John the Baptist. We start with verse 6 today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. In my opinion, verse 6 reads a lot like the opening line to a really great novel. Right? It's full of weight and meaning. To be sent by God. To sent, be sent from God means that you carry with you the message with all the power and all the authority from on high. That this is not just some guy off the street spouting some, some random thoughts. But he's delivering the very message of God with great weight. And his name is John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. See, John the Baptist is not just somebody who has casually observed some things and then just shares them without any kind of emotional connection. John lives, eats, breathes this message of preparation. And his witness is something he is so passionate about that even as a little infant, when he was inside his mom Elizabeth's tummy and Mary with baby Jesus in her tummy got together, John the Baptist leapt for joy. He is so passionate about his role, his mission, his purpose in life. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You think about it like this, like the moon, it, it shines brightly, but not with its own light, right? It only shines because the sun shines on it and it reflects the sun's light back. And so John is very much the same. The light of God is shining into his life in such a way that he just can't help but reflect it back out into the world. And the same is true with us. When we witness his light, his light refracts, reflects off of us into the lives of those around us. So we have an eyewitness account. We see it, we receive it, and then we reflect it and we share it. Now, John the Baptist his audience is all of those who are coming out to see him from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas to the River Jordan out in the middle of the wilderness. But John the gospel writer, John the apostle who is writing this down for us to read, his target audience was primarily the Jews. Right? And John the apostle is writing to the Jews in hopes that they might see and hear and believe. That is his whole, his whole purpose. But he was writing to a couple of different kinds of Jews. The first type of Jew was that who was, who was just burned out on religion. 
and had given up on this whole idea of a Messiah. And in turn, just kind of went out into the world to see what kind of answers to the world's problems the world had to offer. There's another type of Jews who were very faithful. They were religious. They were practicing their faith in such a way they were so fervent that they were convinced that by their good, they could please God. And thereby needed no Messiah. And then there was this other group. This other group that had just so spiritualized their faith. That just simply by being at a, at a higher place, they could not need a Messiah. And so John, the gospel writer, has his focus. I think people a whole like people that we meet every day. And so John is writing these things, these signs, these wonders, these teachings of God so that people would hear and believe. Very much like people that we run across every day, people who in our society today who have abandoned this whole idea that we are sinful and need forgiveness and therefore need a Savior and God promises that Savior. If you don't have that mindset, you don't need Jesus. And you see the brokenness in this world and you just go off into the world to try to find solutions for the brokenness of this world. Apart from Jesus. And so Jesus sends us into the world to reflect his light, to reflect his life so that people would see and hear and know. Prepare their hearts this season with the season of repentance. Remember last week we talked about this concept of repentance as both turning from the blatant sins that we've been been pursuing instead of God and to instead face God and receive his grace and mercy. But sometimes we're off doing so many good things that we've just reoriented our life towards those things and not God and we need to realign ourselves back with him. Whichever of those two or combination of those two you have, this is a season to be able to do that. To prepare ourselves, to celebrate his birth, to prepare ourselves for his coming return. And to share our message. And here's what we witness about. And we take this lesson from John the Baptist. First we start off by who we are not. We talk about who the Messiah is. And then third, who we are in him. So we start off with who we are not. John the apostle, the disciple, writes this about John the Baptist. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. It sounds kind of like a lot of religious 20 questions, right, that John can only answer yes or no answers to. But John is very, very clear. John the Baptist is very, very clear that he is not a recycled person with a recycled purpose. He is a very unique individual with a single purpose that no one else in all of history has ever had or will ever have. And that is to prepare people for the beginning of Jesus' ministry. 
He is most definitely an unrepeated miracle of God. But so are you. Because just as God gave John the Baptist a very particular mission, so he has given to you. Not the same one, but a unique one. You see, there are people in your lives that I will never personally meet. There are people in your lives that you have access to, that you have trust with, that you have a relation built up with, that God has said, I have given you the task to witness to them. That's your job. That is your purpose that only you can do. So who we are not, and then who the Messiah is. Only seven verses into John the Apostle's gospel, and John the Apostle, the disciple, has flooded our ears with descriptive terms that describe who God is, particularly Jesus, who Jesus is and what he does. He starts off in his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. So this word of God, this incredibly powerful creative force that simply spoke and creation occurs. Let there be light. And there was. That is this creative force of God. The word. The word that we have, that we open up, maybe we take for granted, but the Bibles that we have, we open the words that are in there is the very word of God, him revealing himself to us. I want to know what God has to say about, open the word, and he tells you. He describes to you who he is. He reveals to you his great love for you. And then in this moment in history that we are going to celebrate next Sunday evening, when Jesus is born, when the world enters into the world, God says, I want to express for you things beyond just plain words. I want to express to you who I am, my great love for you, face to face, eye to eye, so that you can see and know who I am. It's really something to think about, a creator entering into his own creation. I mean, sometimes we, we get glimpses of what that kind of looks like a little bit in the literary world. When you have somebody who, who uh, writes an autobiography, right? They insert themselves into their craft, into their creation. They import themselves who they are or perhaps uh, an artist who paints himself a, a self-portrait who, who he, he puts himself or herself into his media his art form or Michelangelo making the beautiful beautiful ceiling in the Sistine Chapel if he could somehow insert himself into that picture but with Jesus entering into creation, it's more like this. If Michelangelo could paint himself into the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and have the Sistine Chapel come alive and change and live and breathe and reform and restore and become everything that he had in his mind for it to become, that is Jesus entering into creation. 
entering into creation for the sake of restoring it, repairing it, renewing it, reforming, reshaping, restoring it to the world put right. And that began, that began in the waters of the Jordan where John the Baptist baptizes Jesus and says, this, this, is, this is God. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. This is God who gave me life and breath, who gave you life and breath, who is calling you now to a new life. And it started then. This word, God expressing himself, not just through written word, but the word taking on flesh. John, the gospel writer, says that this is the light of the world. And that's the life that this light brings, right? Light and darkness is, is such a, a contrast. And, and uh, darkness is not the opposite of light. Darkness is the absence of light. And light is associated not just with, with life and warmth, but with, with the, the spiritual component of living victory. John, the, the, uh, the apostle writer, says that darkness can't understand the light. Darkness can't beat the light. The light is victorious over the darkness. Annalisa, as she talks about uh, the ten, excuse me, uh, yeah, the, as she talks about with her confirmands and family confirmation, this, uh, this amazing component of creation, it's, it's amazing. And she, she, she pulls out the fact that, that before God creates things that need warmth, that need light, that plants that need photosynthesis in order to live and breathe and function, God creates what these living things all need first. The very first, let there be light. And there is. And this light is the life of men. And Jesus, of course, has the power to save. We don't have the power to heal, but we know the one who does. Right? We, we don't have the power to save, but the, we know the one who does. See, the greatest way, the greatest way we can serve somebody else, the greatest way we can love somebody else is by sharing this saving message of Jesus Christ with them. The love of God and the saving work of Jesus is the single greatest need this world will ever have. And we have it in abundance and free to share. Now, learning how to share our witness of Christ more frequently and more effectively, I believe, needs to be a higher priority for us. Right? Now, at the same time, witnessing and giving our testimony can be more than just words that we speak. It can also be the lifestyle that we live. And here's why. Because if you just speak the message of the gospel to other people, but you don't live a life of transformation because of the gospel... People are going to say, no, thank you. That's not what I want. You know, in fact, one of the single largest reasons why young people leave the church is because young people hear their moms and dads on Sunday praising God, but Sunday afternoon through Saturday night, they see a very different story of what mom and dad believe. And they watch your actions. 
And if the actions don't line up to the faith that you're confessing, they say, no thanks. I don't want any part of that. And so just like John the Baptist, our testimony has to line up. The things that we say and proclaim about God have to line up with our actions. And then who we are in Christ. Who we are because he is in our lives. John the Apostle records John the Baptist saying this. And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, and the prophet Isaiah said. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. This is recorded in Isaiah chapter 40. These are amazing words. I fell in love with these words this week. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths in the desert, a highway for our God. These words are incredibly tender and compassionate. This testimony, this message that we have to share with the world is your war is over. Your sins, they're pardoned. Your relationship with God is is wide open. And he longs to wrap you up in his arms. See, that's the message that we have, and, and how we share that, uh, why it, it, it's different for each one of us. Because while that is the message that God has, those are the truths that he has for each and every one of us, how we've encountered those truths are unique for each one of us. And we all have different stories, all different experiences with God. And, and some of us have stories of massive life transformation. And some of us have stories of slow and steady, continual growth throughout a lifetime. And regardless of what your story is, it is your story. And you are the world's foremost expert on God's story in your life. So you can have total confidence. You don't have to memorize a long list of questions and answers. You don't have to be a a deep-thinking theologian. You just have to be a willing vessel to share what God has done in your life. And there's a few tips that I want to share with you that were really helpful in, in my own process of learning how to do this. The first thing is, Just spend some time thinking about what God has done for you. What are the changes he's brought to your life? Whether sudden or slow and gradual over time. What has God done for you in ways that have just blessed you beyond imagination? To think about that. And and then to start to put that into words. Start to practice how to say that out loud. And as you do that, two things are really important. Number one. Be very general when you talk about your failings or your problems or or your struggles. Be vague with those. Not because you're trying to to avoid sharing or divulging the details, but because the more details you share about how difficult your life was, the more people have an option to opt out of that message, right? Because this is what we do today. We listen for how we are different, 
not how we're the same. And so as we're listening for how we're different, if you've got this stunning message to share of how Jesus has changed your life, people are listening for how they don't fit that equation. And if so, if you share a detail that doesn't fit with their line of thinking or their own experience, they'll go, see, that's for you, good, but it doesn't work for me. So the more vague you are with that, the broader your audience will be for who can receive this message. So be vague about your struggles and difficulties. Be real, but be vague. Be very specific about God's grace and God's action in your life. Paint the picture. Make it vivid so that they can see themselves in it. So that they can see the glory of God and his potential in their life. And what happens when you share this testimony, this witness with other people, you open the door of something called hope in their life. That if God can, can love someone like you, someone like me, to the point where he changes them, then maybe he can do the same for somebody else. The person that's listening to your story. And another aspect of this piece that, that, that is sometimes overlooked is that the more you share this, the more you, you heal, the more gratitude you have for what God has done in your life. And you practice this, and you practice this, and you practice this. And it starts off, sometimes it can be really uncomfortable. But it's what we are charged to do, right? There's nobody in this room who is exempt from this. Let me say that again. There is nobody in this room who is exempt from being a witness to Jesus. It is all of our jobs. But this season of promise, it's nothing if we don't tell anybody about it. We're just like the, the steward who took the gifts and the talents and just buried them because we were afraid of losing them. But here's the thing, when you share your story, when you share the riches of what God has given to you, you never run out. But they just invest and they grow and they deepen. And Jesus, when he comes back, he's, he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you've got it. You keep it by giving it away. This is who we are. This is who we are in Christ. Now, it's important in all of this that as you share your story that you remember this very, very important thing, that it is all about the glory to God. It is not about our own personal glory, but it all belongs to him. To be able to say, I am not, but I know I am. Sometimes I, I like to listen to a gentleman named Louis Giglio, and he, he says this about that. He says, we can either choose to cling to starring in roles in this little bitty stories of us, or we can opt to exchange our fleeting moment in the spotlight for a supporting role in the beautifully epic story of God. Well, I wonder this season, what are you telling the world is important to you? And we have to ask the question, is our life centered on ourself, on our own needs, our own desires, or is there something more? 
John the Baptist very quickly became incredibly popular, yet he constantly and consistently pointed to one who was greater than him. Who does your life point to? See, this season we have the opportunity to point others to the promise of life and salvation that comes from Jesus. I wonder, if you were to ask somebody else, somebody who knows you, maybe your spouse, a a close friend, to tell them or ask, invite them to share with you, what does your life point to? I wonder what they'd say. I wonder if you ask different people in your life, maybe somebody at work or somebody at school or somebody in the neighborhood, if their answers would be different from one another. You know, I look at John the Baptist and I see this perfect example of how to do that, and, and I'm not. Right? Because I'm, I'm prideful. I'm selfish. I'm sinful. And I know, I know John the Baptist was sinful too, but just somehow it feels like my sin stinks more than his. But I think especially because of our sinfulness, it gives us the opportunity to point to the one who saves, who forgives, who restores, and who makes new. I think especially in our shortcomings, a repentant heart can clearly witness to the Messiah. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we approach this season of promise where we, we await your return, we wait to celebrate next weekend your birth, we pray that you would prepare us. Prepare us through a season of repentance and renewal and equip us to be bold to witness to you, to speak your name to this world, to shed your light in the darkness of this world. Father, we ask that you do this, that you would be glorified. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you go through this week looking for opportunities to have faith conversations, we want to share with you this week's weekly awakening. Use this as a jumping off point in your conversations that you have with with yourselves, with friends, with neighbors, with people at work or at school. Here's a question. How is your life a living testimony of what Jesus has done for you? How is your life a living testimony of what Jesus has done for you?